We learned in the previous Mishnah that a thief only is liable to pay Tashlomi Kefel or Tashlomi Abba Chamisha, which is the payment of double, or in the case where he sells or slaughters it, then it's four or five times the amount. He's only liable to pay those if he is considered to be a thief, a gunnav. And one is only considered to be a gunnav once he does something to acquire the animal. Halakhically speaking, we view the thief as sort of being an owner of the item. He literally took the ownership of the item from the original owner to himself. Now, there are two main ways to acquire an animal. One is hagbar, by lifting it up. So if it's a sheep or something, then you can lift it up to acquire it. And the other way, which would be more practical if it's an ox or another larger animal, is mashicha, by either pulling the animal or causing the animal to come, to, to come towards you. And whereas hagbar works even in the property of the owner, mashicha only works if it's outside of the property of the owner. So if if the thief was doing a mashicha, he was pulling the animal and going outside of the property of the current owner of the animal, but the animal dies whilst it's still in the property of the owner. He hadn't yet pulled it out of the property of the owner, so the mashicha was not yet valid to acquire the animal, and therefore he's not considered to be a thief at all. So Potter, he is totally exempt from paying because he is not considered a thief. However, if he lifted it up, even if that was inside of the property of the owner, or he did manage to pull it out in, outside of the owner's property, and then then the animal died, the thief would be liable to pay back because he is considered to be a thief. Now what happens if the person who is stealing this animal did not do an act which makes him the owner, so he's not yet considered to be the ganaf. But what did he do? He gave it away to a koyen for the sake of redeeming his firstborn son, Pidyon Aben. When one has a firstborn son, so he needs to, so to speak, redeem him by giving money to a koyen. So he gave this animal to the koyen in order to do Pidyon Aben. Or he gave it to somebody to whom he owes money. He pays back a debt with this animal. Or he gives it over to somebody to guard it for free. Or he gives it to somebody to borrow. Or he gives it to somebody to guard and he pays him to guard it. Or he rents it out to someone. And he does all of this before even becoming the thief. He hasn't yet stolen it. And then the person who received it, either the Kayin or the Shaymer, they do a Meshicha, they pull the animal. But before he managed to go outside of the property of the original owner, the animal dies whilst it's still in the owner's property. So again, in this case, no acquisition has been made at all. So the only owner who, who has any ownership over this animal is the original owner, and no one is considered to be the Ganef. So Potter, they are, he is certainly exempt. The one who stole it is exempt from paying for this. However, if the Koyen or the guard the shamer, etc., if they lift it up, so they do do an act which acquires the item, which transfers the ownership of the item, or they do pull it outside of the property of the owner, for Mason then it dies, the person who stole it is liable to pay the owner, and the way we're going to understand this is that when the shamer or the coin, etc., and they do this act which transfers the ownership, they're doing it really on behalf, we associate that with the with the thief. 
and therefore the ownership is transferred to the thief, and he is the one who's considered to be a thief, and not them. They don't know that it's stolen. So they are not considered to be thieves. Rather, the thief is considered to be the one who stole it, and when they do an act which is a good act for transferring ownership, that is what transfers the ownership to the thief, and therefore he would be liable to pay. Mishnah Zionist. Mishnah is far less related to what we have been discussing, but because some of the laws have got something related to stealing, it is brought over here at the end of this perek, which focuses on Geneva. Ein Megadlin Behemodakal Beret Israel. It is forbidden to raise small domesticated animals like sheep and goats in Eretz Israel because they destroy the seeds which are planted in Eretz Israel. Things grow less. And because of the status of Eretz Israel being the holiest and greatest of all lands, it is not befitting that things are not growing there properly. And so for the honor of Eretz Israel, it is forbidden to raise these animals in Eretz Israel. However, when gathering with Surya, it is permitted to raise these animals in Surya. Surya is an area which borders Eretz Israel. For certain things, it's considered to actually be a part of Eretz Israel. And it refers to the lands which Dovid HaMelech conquered before the entire Eretz Israel itself was conquered. And because he conquered these earlier than he was supposed to, so it didn't become part of Eretz Israel itself. However, Medjabonon, for many things, it is considered to be part of Eretz Israel. Be as it may, for this law, it is not considered to be part of Eretz Israel, and one does not need to honor and respect it as much, and therefore it is permitted to raise these animals in the area of Syria. Over Midboros of Eretz Israel, and also in the deserts which are not inhabited by people, inside of Eretz Israel it is also permitted. In Megadon Tan Gunim Yerushalayim, it is forbidden to raise chickens in Yerushalayim, because Yerushalayim needs to remain pure for all those who come to eat Korbanos, and come to the Beis HaMikdash, and they can only do that if they are Tahar, if they are in a full state of purity, and because chickens peck around for things which come from the waste and which have been thrown out. We are concerned they are going to come to spread sources of tumor, of impurity in the streets. There are certain small animals which once they are dead are sources of very severe levels of tumor. And so to avoid this, it is forbidden to raise chickens in Yerushalayim, Vlai Koyanim, Beret Israel, and Kernim cannot raise chickens in the entire Eretz Israel, in Tyrus, because of the need to remain pure. Tahoros is here referring to Truma, which is the gift which is given to Kernim and must be eaten in a pure state. And therefore these Kernim can never raise chickens, because they need to make sure that they always remain pure. In Megadon Chazir Mcholokaim, says the Mishnah, it is forbidden to raise pigs anywhere, even outside of Eretz Israel. And this is because of a story which once happened, that when Yerushalayim was besieged, and they weren't able to bring anything inside to Yerushalayim. So how were they to bring Korbanos to Yerushalayim? So they would drop down money over the wall for the sheep, for example, which were necessary. The Korban Tomid, which they had to bring every day, twice a day, was a sheep. So they would drop down money and they would return over a sheep over the wall. And it occurred once that they dropped down money in order for them to receive an animal to bring a Korban. And the enemy who was besieging them, instead of giving over a sheep, they passed over a pig over the wall of Yerushalayim. And when the pig touched the wall of Yerushalayim, the Gemara says that Eretz Yisrael shook. The actual land trembled. And once this occurred, the Chachamim decreed that it is forbidden for anybody to ever raise a pig because of this occurrence. Continues It is forbidden for one to raise a dog. We're referring to a dog which is dangerous, and people will be very fearful from these dogs. 
And even if you're going to guard it and hold on to a leash, there's a concern that a pregnant woman might see this dog. And even if it is protected, the fear which she might feel when she sees this dog might cause her to miscarry. So it's forbidden to raise a dangerous dog. Unless it was tied with a chain. Then a pregnant woman wouldn't be so fearful, and there also isn't danger for other people. And so in that case, it would be permitted. In prosen nishbin layonim, when we're not spread out um, traps for doves to capture the doves, and this part of the mission is really the part which is related to stealing, because this is going to cause doves which belong to other people to be captured, and you'd be taking other people's doves. And in Kedah Yerachik Ris, unless it was at least 30 ris, which is equivalent to 4 mil, which is roughly four kilometers in every direction, if it was that far away from inhabited areas where people would have doves, then it would be permitted, because there is no concern that it's going to come to capture doves which belong to other people. The focus of this perek is more related to the first half of Bavakama, which is when one causes damage to other people, and this perek hachivel is when a person damages another person. The first six prokim discussed when a person damages somebody else's property, or if his property or something which he is responsible for damaged someone else's property or even somebody else himself. But we haven't yet discussed where a person injures another person. And that is the focus of this perek. Now there are many things which a person might cause the person who he injures, which in the regular laws of damage would be considered to be grommer, that you indirectly caused it, and in general, one is not obligated to pay for indirect damage which he caused. However, the Torah explicitly says that when one injures another person, there are certain things that he would still be obligated to pay for, even though he would have thought that it be, should be considered to be grommer. Somebody who injures another person, is liable to pay him for four things which he caused. Benezek, the actual damage, the actual injury itself, and the Mishnah will go on to explain how we measure each one of these. But Tsar, the pain which you caused him. Beripui, the medical costs which it takes in order to heal him. Besheves, the unemployment which he causes him. Whilst he is being cured, he can't work. So he's losing out as a result of that. Uvabeshes, and the embarrassment which you cause him, you also need to pay for that. And each one of these are learnt from Pesukim. Now the Mishnah elaborates, Benezek Ketzad, how do we measure the amount that you have to pay for the actual damage, the actual injury itself? Simis Enoi, if somebody blinded his eye, Kotas Yodai, he cut off his hand, Shires Ragloi, he broke his foot, and all of these examples, he injured a full limb of the person's body, and in such a case there is an obligation of Nezek, and we measure it in the following way, we view him as if he was a slave being sold in the marketplace, and we measure how much he was worth before the injury took place, how much he is worth today after the injury is, has taken place, how much he would be sold for in the market. Secondly, tsar, the payment for the pain which he caused him, how would we measure that? So first the Mishnah gives an example of kvoi bashfud, if he burnt him with a boiling hot spit, a sort of pole which was in the fire, masmer, or a nail which is boiling hot, even if he did it on his nail, a place where it doesn't create a wound which remains there. So there's actually no nezek in this case. The Mishnah is coming to tell us that even in a case where there is no nezek, and all you caused him was only pain, even in that case there would be an obligation to pay. And how do you measure it? Which literally means that we measure how much a person like this, this type of person, would be willing to take in order to receive this amount of pain. 
But there are many who explain this to actually mean the opposite, that we imagine that he was about to receive this pain, and how much he would be willing to pay in order not to receive that pain. So that amount of money, that is how much he would have to pay this person who he caused pain. The third payment is ripui, the medical costs for him to be cured. Says the Mishnah Hikohu, if you hit him, then you're obligated to heal him, to pay for that which it takes to heal him. That includes the payment which it takes to pay the doctor, and for all of the actual things which are necessary to cure him, the actual medicines, that is all included in what he has to pay him. What happens if later on, things start to grow on the wound, even though this developed only later on, if we can see clearly that it's because of the wound which he gave him, he's liable to pay for healing this as well. However, if it's not because of the wound itself which he gave him, rather something else caused things to grow on their potter, he would be exempt. And this is even in a case where if he would never have given him the wound, perhaps things wouldn't have grown there. Even in that case, that it's only because of the wound that it's here, however, something else caused it to happen. So because it's not the wound itself which directly caused it, this is already considered to be on a more indirect level, and as such, potter would be exempt from paying for that. What happens in a case where Chaysa, the wound was healed, it disappeared, Venistra, but then it came back. Chaysa Venistra, and it was healed again, but it came back, and the wound kept on coming back. As long as it is clear that it's because of the original wound that it is coming back, so that's a sign that it hasn't been fully healed. So Chaysa, he is still obligated to pay for that which it takes to heal him. However, Chaysa Koltsarka, if it was healed fully, for example, if the doctors can tell us that it is considered to be fully healed, and then it comes back somehow, in he is not liable to pay for healing him, because we assume that it is not because of the original wound, rather because of something else, that he now has a wound there. Alright, the fourth payment is Sheves, the unemployment. We view him as if he is someone whose job it is to just guard Kishuin, some sort of vegetable, even someone whose hands and feet have been taken off. He is able to guard such a field, he's able to do such a job, and we're going to understand that we're talking about someone who hasn't got a job. When he was injured, he didn't have a job, but he could have got a job, so you still have to pay him for all this time that he's not able to get a different job. However, because he was unemployed until now, so you only need to pay him a minimum amount for Sheves. However, if he did have a proper job, then you would need to pay him for the amount that he would have received for this entire time that it takes for him to be cured, and he is unable to work. Right, and the final payment is Baishes, the embarrassment, the amount of an embarrassment caused and the amount that he has to pay depends on the person who did the embarrassing and the person who was embarrassed. The more respected a person is, the more he is embarrassed. And as well as that, if a person who is less respected embarrasses him, so the embarrassment is also considered to be greater. And so the amount that he would have to pay it would be more. However, we are going to see later on in this Perek, Rabbi Akiva argues. And according to Rabbi Akiva, the amount paid for Boishas is fixed, as we'll see later on in this Perek. And Vaishas Oroim, one who embarrasses somebody who is already unclothed. And we're talking about someone who is particular about being embarrassed. It's not that he went out into public unclothed. Something happened which caused him to be unclothed. But he himself does care about him being embarrassed. He does feel the embarrassment. And Vaishas Suma, one who embarrasses somebody who is blind. Even then, he still feels the embarrassment. And Vaishas Yoshin, one who embarrasses somebody who is sleeping. That only when he wakes up, he'll realize what happened and then he'll be embarrassed. Since at the end of the day you did cause him embarrassment, Chayev, you would be liable to pay. The Yoshin Shabiyesh Potter. However, somebody who embarrasses someone else while he is sleeping, he is exempt. 
As the Mishnah goes on to explain with another example, if somebody falls off a roof and he causes damage and he causes somebody to be embarrassed. Says the Mishnah, he is liable to pay for the damage which he caused because the person is responsible for any damage which he himself causes which is with his, with his own body. But he is exempt from paying for embarrassment which he caused. Shenem, as the Apostle says, when it gives an example of someone who causes embarrassment to somebody else, the Sholcha a woman stretches out her hand, and holds on to the private area of a man. So we see that the example which the Torah gave is where she has intention to do that. The Shulchayoda shall stretch out her hand and do it. It implies that she intends to do this. And we learn from there that in a Chayvalabishkavin, one is only liable to pay for Bishes if he intends to do that act. Mishnah base, Zechim Bodum Bashar, the following are stringencies of a person who injures a person over that of when a ox injures a person. Because a person has to pay for all of the five things which we just listed in the previous Mishnah. And is also obligated to pay the Mevelodais in a case where the person causes a woman to miscarry her fetus, as we learnt earlier on in the Masechta. However, the Shur, if an ox, if a person's animal does this, then the owner of the animal only has to pay for the actual damage which was caused, but not for all of the embarrassment and the healing, etc. And in a case where the ox causes a woman to miscarry her fetus, the owner would be exempt from paying for that, for the value of the fetus, because the Torah explicitly says that that only applies to Anoshim, when people do that.